you would, open your Bibles, Psalm chapter 1 this morning. It's funny how when you think back to your childhood, teenage years, there's certain things that you remember for whatever reason that you don't know why in the world do you remember those things. And uh, one of those things for me uh, that I remember that I really don't understand why I remember this was I remember being in my sophomore English class And I remember in one particular week, we studied a poem by a guy named Robert Frost called The Road Not Taken. And I don't know why I remember this, but I do. And the poem went something like this, Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent under the undergrowth. He goes on to talk about these two different paths, and how he debated between these two paths, and he finishes like this. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And what I also remember about the day we studied that poem was it wasn't just one day. It took us multiple days to argue back and forth over what that poem meant. Um, Though it seemed simple, it seemed like we had a thousand different things that we thought the author could be saying there. Well, you know, the Bible talks about roads, talks about paths quite often. Psalm chapter 119, verse 105 says the Lord that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Proverbs 3, 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your path. Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Fortunately, when the Bible talks about paths, it's pretty cut and dry. It's pretty clear what it's saying. Now, we know that when it speaks about past there, that, those are just, that's a metaphor, that's a symbol of decisions that we make. And today I want to look at Psalm chapter 1, which is a psalm all about a decision. One that I would say has tremendous consequence on your life. One that I would say will either send your life down one path or down another. First point I want to make this today is that we need to see this monumental decision. Look in Psalm chapter 1. Let's start by reading verses 1 and 2. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The psalmist is laying out a decision for us. He is saying that there are two paths in front of us. And the question will be, will we live according to the advice of the lost, the advice of the sinner, the advice of this, of this world, or we will, will we live our lives based on the wisdom of the word? And he even makes clear from the beginning that only one of those paths leads to blessed, blessing. But I want us to look at these two paths, and let's start with the wrong path. He says there that, the, that blessed, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. And so he lays out this this wrong path, this wicked path, a path that leads one to walk in in the counsel of the wicked, to stand in the way of the sinner, to sit in the seat of the scoffer. I hope you can see that there's a progression here, that there's a downward spiral here. Um, he's He's depicting what I believe is an accurate picture of the influential power of sin over our lives when we allow it to begin to influence us. It begins by being influenced by sin. He said to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Now the word counsel there means advice. 
And the point he is making here is that we must be careful who we give our ear to. We must be careful who we listen to when it comes to guidance and direction because who, the, the longer that we listen, the more we are tempted to imitate their walk. The more that we are Im- tempted to imitate their life. No matter who that is, we must be careful who it is that we are listening to. My boys have these uh, little iPad screens that they play games on and um, usually a couple days a week we'll let them play for an hour or so. But um, I- I've noticed this not just among my kids but among other kids that I watch playing these screens um, is, is that rather than spending all their time playing video games on those things, they tend to spend a lot of time watching videos of other kids playing video games. It makes no sense to me whatsoever why they would want to sit and watch another kid play a video game on their screen instead of playing the video game themselves, but they do this all the time. And there's this one particular kid who I guess is from England um, that they watch play these video games, and he's sitting there talking and narrating the games, and inevitably what happens is we, we, will, we will tell the kids, tell our boys, okay, it's time to get off their screens. They will come out of their room, and they'll say, all right, Daddy, what are we having for supper today? And they will begin to speak with this British accent because this kid on this video has been speaking in a British accent. Now, let me say, there's nothing wrong with talking with a British accent. Um, There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not natural for them to do so. They're watching this video to learn how to play a video game, but they also then begin to adapt, to imitate what this kid is doing because they look up to this kid because this kid knows how to play this Minecraft game or whatever it is that they play. You know, when you immerse yourself in the thoughts, the ideas of this world, don't be surprised when you begin to think like the world. Don't be surprised when your mind begins to follow that path because you are walking in the way of the wicked. Now that leads next to identifying with sinners. He said, that he said blessed is not the one who stands in the way of sinners. The word way there means a path. A lifestyle. I heard a story about a man who had a, had a canary as a pet. And this canary had an especially beautiful song. Um, but when summer came around, this man just felt it was a shame for him to leave his bird in this cage in the house all day. And so he thought, you know what, there's a tree next to the house. I'll just take my canary and I'll hang the cage up in the tree so the bird can get some fresh air and so the bird can get some sunshine. He thought, there's no harm in that. So he placed the bird in the cage out under this tree. Well, that tree um, had a lot of sparrows that lived in the cage. And at first, the canary was kind of scared of what it saw, scared of these other birds. But eventually, he got used to the birds. He got over his fright, and he, he began to enjoy the company. But gradually, over the course of that summer, what happened was the canary lost his song. And no longer was the canary song sweet and beautiful, but instead it was simply mimicking the chirping of the sparrows. One summer was all it took to ruin the bird. You know, imagine like this. If you were to take a piece of cloth and you were to stick that piece of white cloth into a a big bowl, a a cup with some dye in it, what's going to happen? The longer that that cloth stays in the dye, what's going to take place? The cloth is going to begin to take on the color of the dye. You see, we don't just hear the arguments of the world. We don't just hear their reasoning. If we immerse ourselves in that, what's going to happen? We begin to 
think the way the world thinks. And eventually those worldly thoughts, those worldly ideas become actions and beliefs. They become things that we live out. We begin to walk in the way of the sinner. And then what that leads to is when we begin to spread sin ourselves. He says, lastly, he says, beware that you don't sit in the seat of the scoffer. To sit in the seat of the scoffer. Now, J. Vernon McGee says that those scoffers are atheists. And I would add that it might even just be practical atheists, people who do not believe in God or at least do not live like they believe in God. And they not only don't believe in God, but they mock those who do and they mock the ways of God. When you've spent long enough walking in the way of the wicked and standing in in the way of the sinner, eventually you're going to find yourself sitting at the table among the scoffers. Not only not following the Word of God, but then also actively being antagonistic to the Word of God and promoting that others should not follow the Word of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 32 talks about these people. Paul says, Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice sin deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them. Here is this one path that is going to lead to destruction. When we begin to walk in the way of the wicked, stand in the way, or walk, walk in, the, um, in the counsel of the wicked, to stand in the way of the sinner, to sit in the seat of the scoffer. But thank goodness there's more than one path. Thank goodness when we look at our life, there are two paths. He says that the blessed one is the one, verse 2, whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. The path to blessing begins with a delight in the word of God. It begins with a love for the Word of God. In fact, I would go so far to say this. A genuine believer ought to have a hunger to know the Lord through His Word. The genuine believer ought to have desire to be in the Word. I believe it's a sign of salvation. We ought to agree with what Peter said in John chapter 6 when he declared, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. We ought to have a hunger for the Word. Do you have a hunger for the Word of God? Do you have a desire to want to be in the Word of God? I mean, tell, you, tell me, let me, be honest with me here. I mean, when is the last time that you sat down and said, I just need to get in God's Word? I just need to be in His Word. When is the last time that you wept over the Word like the people of Israel did in the days of Ezra? When is the last time that you were cut to the heart by the Word of God, like those who heard Peter preaching it on the day of Pentecost? When's the last time you truly had a desire, a craving for the Word of God? Or has your delight in the Word begun to dwindle? Has your appetite begun to go away? I got to thinking about why it is that sometimes we might not hunger for the Word, and I thought of three reasons at least. Um, And the first one is this, that sometimes we don't hunger for the Word because we think, why do I need it? We think, why do I need the Word of God? In other words, we're not humble enough to receive it. We don't don't believe it's for us. We don't believe it's necessary for us. I heard a story one time about three guys who decided to go deer hunting. It was a lawyer, a doctor, and a preacher. They went out into the woods, and, and as they walked along, on their way to the deer stand, this giant buck came out, biggest buck any of them had ever seen. Well, all three naturally raised their guns and fired at the exact same time. The buck fell, they got to the deer, realized it was even bigger than they had imagined. Well, they began to argue among each other as to who shot the deer. 
And they couldn't seem to settle the argument when suddenly a game warden came along. And they, they, the game warden asked him, what in the world's going on? They explained to him, hey, we saw this giant buck. We all raised our gun at the same time. We all fired at the same time. We can't figure out who shot the deer. Game warden said, well, let me take a look. He looked at it for literally like a minute and popped up and said, I know exactly who shot this deer. The preacher shot the deer. And they thought to themselves, how in the world could you know so quickly that the preacher shot the deer? And the game warden said, well, it's easy because the bullet went in one ear and out the other. Sometimes the word of God goes in one ear and out the other. Even as believers, even for believers who have been in the word for years and years and years, sometimes we can get into a, part, a time of life where it seems like it goes in one ear and out the other. We assume that it was written for someone else. Oh, I don't need that verse. I don't struggle with that. That's not a problem for me. Oh, I don't, I don't need to worry about that. That doesn't apply to me. And we don't, we're no longer hungry for it because we think, I don't need it. Secondly, I think sometimes we don't hunger for the Word because we think, I already know it. Sometimes we begin to think we've arrived. We think we've learned it all. I, we think, oh, you know, I don't have to read anymore. I can be good on my own. I, I've learned enough. There's no need for me to read it again um, because I've, I've already read it before. I, I, you know, I'm good. Let's, now I can just get up and do things. I, I'll go back maybe, maybe one day, but I don't need to read it anymore. It's kind of like this. Uh, my boys can eat the same food every day and never get bored with it. I don't know if you remember those days when your kids were little or maybe um, when you were little. Uh, literally every day they can get up and eat the same breakfast. Caleb will get up every single day and he eats a pack of Little Bites chocolate chip muffins and a cup of chocolate milk every day of his life. He could do the same thing. And if he switches to something else, he's going to eat that same thing every day for the next two or three weeks. And then finally we can convince him to switch to something else. And Will does the same thing. Right now it's cookie crisp cereal. That's some good stuff, ain't it? Cookie crisp and a glass of chocolate milk. He will eat it every day. We make, we make them big like Duncan Hines chocolate chip muffins. I'm making y'all hungry, ain't I? Um, and, and he can eat that every single day. We go to restaurants. They're going to order the same thing every single time they go to a restaurant. We're going to go to Wendy's. They're going to get plain cheeseburgers, cheese and meat only, French fries, and a Coke. We go to uh, McDonald's. They're going to get chicken McNuggets every single time. I don't care. We go to a restaurant. They're going to get the exact same thing. They never get bored with what they eat. They just like to get the same thing every time. But you know what? When we become adults, our taste buds mature, don't they? And we don't like to eat the same things. Oh, who am I kidding? We do, don't we? But some of us would say, you know what? I like to branch out. I like to try different things. You know, when it comes to the Word of God, Christ calls us to have a childlike faith. And I believe in a way He calls us to be childlike in our desire and our hunger for the Word, that we would never grow bored with it that we would never get burnt out, that we would never say, okay, I've read the Bible, I'm ready to move on to something else, but that we would constantly come back to it and see that there was something new, something that we've never noticed before, something we've never really caught before. We should never get to the point in which we say, I already know it. And then thirdly, I would say, sometimes we don't hunger for the Word because we think, I can't stomach it. I mean, have you ever had one of those times in life, one of those um, weeks where you got like some kind of bug some kind of virus and food just is the last thing on your mind? Like you do not want to eat anything at all? I remember Brad Hamner, um, who used to work here at the church, 
um, he would not eat Corky's barbecue. Refused to eat Corky's barbecue because one time he had eaten Corky's barbecue and that night he had gotten sick. And you know how that is. Sometimes if you eat something right before you get sick and the last thing that's on your mind, you never want to see it again in your life. You can't stomach it. You know, when we get sick, we lose our appetite. Food no longer tastes good. We don't want anything to do with it. The same thing could be said sometimes when we fill ourselves up with junk food. Um, We might eat a lot of snacks and junk and then we don't want to eat the good food. We don't want to eat anything that's healthy. Well, when we fall into sin, oftentimes the last thing we want to hear is the Word of God. The most important thing we could hear is the Word of God, but we don't want it because we don't want the conviction. We've filled ourselves up on the junk of this world, and we don't want it. We're no longer hungry for it, and we think, I don't want to be anywhere near the Word because the Word convicts me. We ought to have a hunger for the Word. And as a believer, if you do not hunger for the Word of God, that ought to scare you. That ought to shock you. That ought to motivate you. Because it says right here that blessed is the one whose delight, delight is in the law of the Lord. And he adds there, he says, and on it, on his law, he meditates day and night. And so this is not just a heart thing. This is a head thing. It's not just that we say, oh, man, I love the word of God, but that we want to be in it. And we want to be reading it. And we want to be thinking over it. I believe it's a heart and a head, a delight and a meditate, a memorize, repeat, look for the application that we ought to want to to feast on the Word and digest it. Hopefully you can see these two paths here. There is the road to worldliness, which, which comes through the counsel of the sinner. And then there's the road to godliness, which comes through the wisdom of the Word. There is a decision in front of you that every single day you have to make this decision. That though salvation is a one-time decision, the decision to follow the Word of God and to be obedient to it is a daily decision. That every day we get up and say, which path am I going to take? And and let me add this. There's a guaranteed result to this. The the psalmist tells us here that there is a guarantee of what's going to take place. Look in verse 3. He says, He, the blessed one, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Let's think about this result. What happens when we delight in the Word and we meditate in it on day and night? First of all, let me tell you that the Lord directs you. It says that He's like a tree planted. Now, if we walk down in the woods and we saw a bunch of trees growing in the woods, would you say that those trees had been planted? No. You would say that seeds fell and the trees just began to grow wherever the seeds happened to fall. When you say that something has been planted, it means that something was done intentionally, right? That there was a, there was a reason, there was a purpose that a tree was placed in a particular place, right? If I'm going to plant a tree in my yard, we have two trees in our yard right now, um, we had four, two died, um, but we have two right now, and we have two oak trees in our backyard. And I went and picked those trees out, and we planted them. One of them came from my, my, my father-in-law's flower bed. It was a little seedling that popped up. He, he put it in a pot. We took it over. I put it exactly where I wanted it. I cared for it. I planted it. It was exactly the kind of tree I wanted. And guess what? After I planted it, I made sure it took root. I watered it. I fertilized it. I did what I need. The Word of God says here that the one who delights in the law of the Lord, he is like a tree that has been planted. When we live by the Word of God, the Lord plants us where he wants us. 
He guides our way. He directs our steps. As a believer, when you're living by the Word, nothing in, in this life is by accident. Nothing is by coincidence. It is the will of God. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In other words, God has designed us, and when we follow the path of His Word, He plants us where He wants us. But it doesn't end there. I would say also, too, that the Lord supplies you. He says He plants you by streams of water. The idea here is not just a river. It's an irrigation canal where there's always going to be water flowing through. And so the Lord God plants us by streams of living water where we will be supplied. The Word of God supplies us with energy, supplies us with life. But notice also that by the guidance of Scripture, the Lord grows us. He says that we yield its fruit in season. Now, a healthy tree that is in good soil, that has water and sunshine, if it's a fruit tree, it ought to bear fruit, right? It ought to put out fruit like, like a healthy tree, correct? But also, I would add this, those, that fruit comes in season, correct? I mean, I don't know a whole lot about fruit trees. I've never had a fruit tree in my yard, but I'm going to guess that apple trees don't produce apples in the dead of winter. There is times of growth, times of rest, and times of produce, correct? There's times whenever that apple tree is going to yield apples, and there are times when that apple tree is not going to have apples on its branches, but that doesn't mean that it's not growing. The Bible says here that as a believer who is blessed through the Word of God, that you will yield its fruit in season. A healthy believer ought to yield fruit, but it will come in the Lord's season. That when we plant the Word of God into our hearts, into our lives, it's going to bear fruit in time, but we must give it time. Sometimes we might read the Word for a week and we say, oh, this is doing me no good, and we want to walk away from it. Well, we haven't given it time to bear fruit. Spiritual growth takes time. I heard one guy say it like this. God's Word often refers to the Christian experience as a walk, seldom as a run, and never as a mad dash. Growth takes time. Invest the Word and be patient that through the preparation process and that pruning process that God is going to bring about growth. But you know, it's not just about seasons of growth. The truth is there's also seasons of doubt. And in those times, the Lord sustains you. It says there that its leaf does not wither. Now, the truth is droughts happen, right? In a real physical sense, droughts do happen. Weather is crazy. I don't know if you've seen right now, there's this giant hurricane that's coming about to hit, the, I believe, the Bahamas. That's Category 5. We need to be praying for the people who are in the path of Dorian, I believe is the name of the hurricane. But droughts do happen, and when droughts happen, those trees and those plants that are not near sources of water generally struggle. They generally begin to wither. If the roots are not very deep, they will begin to suffer. You know, I remember some summers, um, not long after we moved into our house, before those plants that we had, those trees and those shrubs got really established, I spent a lot of time out in the yard with a water hose in my hand, water in bushes, water in the grass, because the grass would begin to scorch because we weren't getting a whole lot of rain. As Christians, the Word of God tells us, it teaches us that we are not immune to drought, that we are going to walk through difficulty. As sure as the sunrise and the sunset, we are going to go through hard times. 
And so that is, it does not tell us to come to Christ and you'll never struggle. It doesn't say that. You, it doesn't mean you're going to be immune to problems, whether that be family life, health, job, whatever. But what it tells us here is that the Lord sustains us through those times of drought. That as we're walking through those seasons of difficulty, the Word of God is what gives us life. It was Paul, in an extremely difficult point in his life, who wrote in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. The Lord sustains you. And then lastly, I would say that the Lord prospers you. It says, in all that He does, He prospers. Now you can probably imagine how that verse right there could be misused by prosperity gospel preachers. Hey, if you'll read the Word of God and everything you do, you'll prosper. You put money in the stock market, it's never going to go down. You're always going to make money on stuff. You're always going to get the job. And if you're not, well, then that means you're not in the Word of God because you're not prospering. That's not what it's trying to say here. The word of prosper here means to accomplish. And I believe what it's saying here is that if we invest the Word of God in our lives, we will accomplish God's will for our lives. That the devil will never have that final victory over us if we've put our faith and trust in the Word of God. But for the one whose trust is not in the Word of God, for that one who has followed that other path, let me tell you that the result is equally guaranteed. Look in verse 4. It says, The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. That chaff is like the leftover when they thrash out, they thrash out the grain and there's all those little bits and pieces of that leftover stalk that then blow out in the wind and they're just gone. Therefore, verse 5, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Two paths, two guaranteed results. One leads to blessing, one leads to death, one leads to destruction. But before we get overly confident, before we think, oh, I got this figured out, I'm doing pretty great, let me take us back to verse 1, because I need to point out one more thing before we wrap up. In verse 1, it said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. I went and looked back at the Hebrew for those three verbs right there, for walk, stand, and sit, and, and I was kind of surprised, um, but also a little bit depressed at first when I realized what it said. What it says here is this, Blessed is the man who walks and has never walked in the counsel of the wicked, who stands and has never stood in the way of the sinner, who sits and has never sat in the seat of the scoffer. Let me make perfectly clear that none of us have lived up to that. None of us. Psalm 1 is telling us that the only path to blessing is if you perfectly live up to verse 1. And we can't do it. It's impossible. I can't do it. You can't do it. We could go back and look at, go through the Scripture and look at the Old Testament saints, the ones we call Old Testament saints, and we realize none of them could do it. Abraham couldn't do it. Moses couldn't do it. Joshua couldn't do it, Samuel couldn't do it, David couldn't do it, Elijah couldn't do it, not even John the Baptist could do it. None of us could receive the blessing that God has promised here because none of us have ever been able to perfectly walk not in the counsel of the wicked, stand not in the way of the sinner, sit not in the seat of the scoffer. And so how can we get this blessing? I mean, if 1 John 1, 1.8 is true, which says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us, if that is true, how in the world can we receive the blessing that, that, that the Bible is promising us here? It seems like we have no hope. Praise be to God for Jesus Christ. 
Praise the Lord that He saw us in our time of hopelessness and He sent His Son to do what we could not do. Jesus is the blessed one of Psalm chapter 1. When we read, blessed is the man, it's really blessed is Jesus who never walked in the counsel of the wicked, who never stood in the way of sin, who never sat in the seat of scoffers, but perfectly delighted in the law of the Lord. And on His law, Jesus meditated day and night. And so our blessing comes solely through Christ's obedience. And through His obedience, through His death, burial, and resurrection, we can receive the blessing that Psalm chapter 1 promises us. Now that doesn't mean we don't have to live by what Psalm chapter 1 says, because when we come to Christ through salvation, then we are called to live by Psalm chapter 1, to walk in obedience, to follow His path. But I want to leave you with verse 6. Psalm chapter 1, verse 6. I want to finish here with that last verse. Because I think this draws the conclusion for us. It says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Does the Lord know you? That's the question today. Does the Lord know you? Back in the early 1990s, I guess maybe it was 91 or so, I'm not really sure what year it was, um, President, the President of the United States was George H.W. Bush. And um, he made a trip to Memphis. I don't really remember what it was for, um, but I do remember that I can't even, I don't remember if I went with my parents or who I went with, but we went and stood outside the, the Walmart in Raleigh, right there in Austin P, um, to watch his what do you call it, motorcade come through? All the cars and Secret Service drive through. I don't know why we did this, but we did. Um, we went and stood. It was, it was nighttime, and we waited and waited and waited. And all of a sudden, here comes flashing lights, and here comes all these, these limousines and blacked-out cars and everything. He had flown into the Millington um, Navy base and then was driving to somewhere, and we just were going to be on his path waving at him as he went. Now, let's imagine that I had hopped in my car, um, which I couldn't drive at the time. I was probably 11. Um, and I had went with somebody, and we had caught up with the president. And let's imagine that I had tried to wiggle my way through all the security, the, the secret service, and said, hey, I know the president. I want to go talk to the president. I know who he is. His name's George H.W. Bush. He's the president. Um, he, I, and I, let's imagine that I went and I told a whole bunch of things I knew about him. Do you think I would have been able to get in to see the president of the United States? Absolutely not. Because the question would not be whether I know the president. The question would be whether the president knows me. And those secret service would not let me pass their guard if he did not know me. Kim and I joke about this all the time. She, uh, um, we used to watch Fixer Upper all the time when it was on TV um, back in the day. And she was, we were both big time fans of that show. And she would always tell me that she was friends with Joanna Gaines. And I would say, well, how are you friends with doing it? Boy, I, I follow her on Facebook and Instagram. We're friends and all this kind of stuff. And I would tell her, no, you're not. She, oh, yeah, we are. She, she said, she, you know, she accepted my friendship. We're friends and all this kind of stuff. I, you don't know her. She know, or she, you know her, but she doesn't know you. The question at the end of the day is not, do you know things about the Bible? Do you know things about God? Do you know the name of Jesus? That's not the question. The question is, does God know you as his child? Does the Lord know you as one of his children? It said there that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. 
but the way of the wicked will perish. Do you know that you know the Lord of heaven? And do you know that he knows you today? Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray right now that if there's a person here in this room today who is not a child of God, they could not say with confidence that you know them as one of your children. I pray that today would be that day that they want to become a child of God, that they would admit that they are a sinner, that they could not live up to this or any other passage in Scripture perfectly, and that the only way that one can get to heaven on their own is through an absolutely perfect life, which is impossible for us to do. Father, I, ask, I pray that they would admit that they're a sinner, that they would believe on Jesus Christ, the one and only Son of God, who came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death he did not deserve. But he did not remain dead. He was buried and rose again on the third day, proving that he was the Son of God, paying the price for our sin. And I, God, I pray that the, that individual would then confess Jesus as Lord, ask him to forgive them of their sin and want him to rule over their life from this day forward. Father, if there's a soul in this room today who needs to make that decision, I pray at this time of invitation that you would burden their hearts to step out in faith and come make that decision public. Father, if there are other decisions that need to be made today, whether they be ones that need to be made publicly, joining our church, rededicating their life, whether these be private decisions, maybe it's a believer who says, I have not been delighting in the word. I've lost my appetite and I need to recommit myself to your word. I pray that you would give them confidence in that decision, that you would give them a desire to obey the calling that you're placing on their life. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?